Friends, this is Torah Studies, our weekly exploration of the Torah portion. Torah portion this week is Beshalach, and boy, do we have a tasty class for you tonight. It's all about food. Okay, but before we get there, before we get to the food, um, we do have a very special dedication of tonight's class. Um, tonight's class has been sponsored by Adina Malka Northrup in loving memory of Anne Geraldine Britton Maxey, mother of Dr. Joy Maxey. So um, class is dedicated by Adina Malka in honor of Dr. Maxey's mom and in her memory. So very special. Thank you. And uh, indeed, may the learning be, Dr. Maxey, may the learning be in your mom's merit. And uh, tonight, please God, we'll have a very powerful class. Okay, and thank you, Adina Malka, very special. Um, let's jump right in. I want to start with a Jewish practice by talking about a Jewish practice. And the Jewish practice I want to focus on is the grace after meals. Although um, in Jewish liturgy, it's typically called the blessing after a meal, bir- birkat hamazon. What is grace? I don't know what the translation of grace is, but it's usually translated as the blessing after the meal. Now, let me just clarify something. The Torah says there's a biblical commandment that when we eat and are satisfied, we should thank God from whence, anyone say that anymore? I just did. From whence the food has come from, right? Or come. So that is the blessing after. It's biblical in origin. The mitzvah, to, we call it in Yiddish, to bench. Bench is not like, not that type of benching. Right, bench is, I just did the, uh, the pumping iron. No, that's not, be- bench is, it's to bless. Yiddish for bless. The bench, after we eat, you bench. Now, the rabbi said, you know what? Not only after we eat should we uh, thank God for the food, but before we eat, we should be mindful as we step into the food experience, we should say blessing before. So the blessing before is rabbinic in origin, and the blessing after is biblical in origin. But I have another question for you. Who composed the prayer? Who composed the prayer? And I have an answer for you as well. Does anybody know the answer? Who composed the grace after meals, the blessing after meal? The Jewish version? Excellent. Yes. Excellent, excellent. So here's the deal. There are four sections of the Birkat Hamazon, of the grace after meals, of the blessing after meal. And each section... And I'm, we're going to pull it. We're going to start with this. I'm going to pull it up, pull it up on the screen in a moment, so you can see it. Each section was composed by a different author. The first section, the first paragraph, the first blessing, was composed by Moses. The second was composed by Joshua. The third by David and Solomon, or shall I say, King David and King Solomon. And the fourth section was composed by the sages in the times of the Mishnah, and that is centuries later in Jewish history. So the first three are of earlier origin, and then the last section, which is the longer part, at the end, sort of, that longer piece at the end, if you're familiar with it, that was composed by the sages. I want to share my screen. Let's do this right away. Let's just jump straight in and take a look. a A little comment. Yeah. It, isn't it ironic that Avram Avinu, our father Abraham, 
encouraged people to thank God, but he didn't compose anything formal? Interesting, yeah. It's interesting that he, um, right, because the Talmud famously says that Abraham, when he invited people over, he said, thank God for the food. They said, thank you for the food. He said, don't thank me, thank God. And they said, who's God? Abraham said, ah, do I have a story for you? And that's how he would preach monotheism. So what you're saying, what you're suggesting is it's interesting that he didn't formalize um, the, the, the blessing after meal. Maybe he had the shortened version that we used to say as kids. Um, right. Rub a dub dub. Thanks for the grub. Go no, God. No, not that. That's I, I don't know about your version. That's the one that we did in camp. I'm kidding. Um, all right. So let's jump in now. I have this screen shared. Let's take a look at the blessing after meal. We we have a. What is going on over here? All right. Can you guys see this? Is this coming up on the screen? Yes. Okay. Fantastic. So page. This is from the Siddur from the prayer book. This is a PDF straight from the Kehat the Chabad Siddur. On page number 90, that's where the formal blessing after meal begins. So I just want to show you, I want to walk you through this. I wonder if I have the ability to annotate. Let's see. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Let's see. Um, what is that? Oh, look at this. The T, Ari. What is this now? Yeah, no, no, no. Here's what I'm looking for. Oh, look at that. Look at that yellow. Um, hmm, not really working so well. That, look at this. Guys, annotated. Unbelievable. All right, check this out. This first paragraph, I did it. I'm doing it in Hebrew. The first paragraph is Moses. Okay? Next one. Next paragraph is going to be Joshua. Oh, look at that. Look at that. We got different colors. It actually continues. It starts over there with that red and continues... All the way over here. All of that. I don't know why the English is getting, getting hooked now. But anyway, all of this is Joshua. Third leader, third composition is David and Solomon. And that goes, sorry about this, way too much orange for my liking. That goes here and down to here. All right, that's the third. So let's just start from the beginning again. Let's start from the beginning. Okay, Moses is yellow, Joshua's red, and I don't know why there's a little red over there. My apologies for the things being a little wonky, but the orange would be David and Solomon, and then the sages of the Mishnah would be doing this long piece, and we'll use green for them, and they did all of this through the end, and... That's how we like it. Hold on. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, there we go. We have it mapped out. Highlighted. The power of PDF and annotation. All right, so yellow is Moses. <coughs> Red is Joshua. Um, Orange-ish is David and Solomon. And the sage of the Mishnah is that green that concludes the, the prayers. Now, I'm, I know I'm flipping up and down. Uh, it kind of makes sense the way I'm doing it for me, but I know that that's maybe a little bit dizzying for all y'all. Um, but here's what I want to point out. I, I want to analyze what did Moses compose. We're, I wanted to map it out, but now let's focus on the first paragraph of the benching of the grace after meals, the blessing after meal, which is composed by Moses. So I'm going to see if I can undo this stuff. Let's see if we can undo everything. Okay. So I'm going to start reading on page number 90 in the English the opening blessing, right? Oh, I made it green now. Whoops. Anyway, this part of it in English, and let's see what exactly 
did Moses write? I'm going to start. Blessed are you, Lord, our, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who in his goodness provides sustenance for the entire world with grace, with kindness, and with mercy. He gives food to all flesh, for his kindness is everlasting. Through his great goodness to us continuously, we do not lack food, and may we never lack food for the sake, you can tell it's a Jewish prayer already, may we never lack food for the sake of his great name. For he, benevolent God, provides nourishment and sustenance for all, does good to all, and prepares food for all his creatures whom he has created. As it is said, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed are you, Lord, who provides food for all. I want to ask you a question. It's, uh, it's a very simple question. I'm going to stop sharing for a moment. Very simple question. Hey, guys, did that work out with the highlighting before my question? Yeah, that worked? You guys saw that? Okay. So what food was Moses talking about when he composed this prayer? Thank you, God, for the food and sustenance, nourishment, da 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 yada, yada, yada. What was he talking about? What kind of food? Man. Man. There you go. In Hebrew, it's called man. In English, it's called mana. But honestly, doesn't matter what you call it, as long as you don't call me late for dinner. Boom. So here's the deal. It's man, mana. We'll use the English term mana. Uh, there was a song that was made about this. Mana, 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 mana. Mana. Joking. Um, the mana... Money. Was you yeah. You know why the Jews, even without the money, you know why the Jews would never have starved in those 40 years? You tell me. Because of all the sand which is there. Oh, very good. Very good. Excellent. Because Excellent. Desert. I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got that. Sandwich. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Good. Listen, this is best of. This is best of right now. This is, we're getting high caliber uh, content. Um, all around. So here you go. Moses composed the prayer, thanking Hashem, thanking God for the miraculous food known as manna. Um, and we, we commemorate that to this day. We, uh, hour after our meals, we recite the blessing after the meal, the Birkat Amazon, and the first paragraph is that very same blessing prayer that Moses composed for the manna. The question that we're going to be heading toward, I'm just going to reveal my hand right away. This is not a magic trick, although there was a rabbit here somewhere joking. This is not a magic trick. I'm, I'm okay revealing my hand, and here is my hand. The question we're going to ask is, if Moses, you got to ask it with a question type of tune. If Moses composes, ooh, composes the prayer for the mana. Yeah? So what are we doing repeating it now? He, it's, he didn't have the food that we have. It was a mana prayer. We're not eating mana. I mean, unless you are, which then that's pretty cool. So what's, why are we saying the same blessing for our food as the mana? Now you might be thinking, well, who cares? He created it for the, he composed it for the mana, and we're going to read it for our food. What's the distinction? Who cares? What kind of question is that? Well, I haven't asked the question yet. I'm just telling you where I'm headed. Let's support the question with some more information. If none of this made sense to you, don't worry about it. It's all going to make sense soon. Yes. Dina. Also, while you were reading it, I had a question. I mean, it makes sense if the prayer was designed with mana in mind because that was ever-flowing. Right. Ooh, good. But Excellent. It, yeah. But, I mean, reading it today, we know food is not. Good, so. good. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. So let's, let's ho hold that thought. Let's rewind the drop. And let's talk about the mana. What did, let's start with some basics. What did the mana look like? Who knows? What did the mana look like? Little pellets. Little pellets? Okay, what? Crystallines. Crystalline. 
crystalline little route. Good. So in one place in the Torah, it calls it like coriander seed. Anybody know what coriander seed looks like? Round, little round, round. yeah, little round balls. So it's got like little round and it was white or crystalline, see-through white, something sparkly, like little diamonds perhaps. That's one, that's one understanding of it. Um, I asked Riva, my daughter, my six-year-old, my now six-year-old daughter, uh, just a few moments ago, hey, did you learn what the mana looks like? And she said it looked like white fluffy clouds. So I guess that's a second interpretation, that it looked like white fluffy clouds. I wasn't there. I don't know. But these are various traditions, I guess. What did it taste like? We should take a look. Say it again. In the ark, we should take a look. <laughs> That's right. If we could only find the ark, Harrison Ford, where did you put that ark, bro? Anyway, back to our uh, back to our story. Just so so you know, Steve just referenced that they kept a jar of the manna for posterity and they put it in the ark of the covenant. Hence my joke about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Back to our story. Um, what did it taste like? Who knows? What did the manna taste like? Anything you wanted. Excellent. Anything that you wanted, if you desired it, so it tasted. Which always evokes the curious question, well, what if you wanted to taste like something not kosher? Aha! <laughs> what would happen then? Seems like it wouldn't be a problem, because even if it tastes like, right, I can't believe it's not butter. I mean, it doesn't matter that it's not. It just, I mean, it doesn't matter that it tastes like, as long as it's not actually problematic, then it's not problematic. So, anyway, just, just an aside of, uh, like, how that would look. You know, could you have a little mana that tasted like pizza and then a little mana that tasted like, uh, I don't know, steak in proximity? Or is that not kosher? It seems like it would be fine because at the end of the day, you're not eating pizza or steak. You're eating mana, which gets us to the whole question about artificial meat, which lab-grown beef, which is for another time, another topic, another day. Back to our story. So the mana looked like, seems like crystalline white uh, or, or coriander seeds. It tasted like anything you wanted. How much mana fell or what was the process like where they got the mana so according to the torah the mana descended onto the earth and they went out and gathered it the torah tells us something very interesting the torah tells us something very interesting about quantity and i discovered something today that i never knew due to the power of google um, and some quick equations, I came up with something that is, I think, like unbelievable, but obvious. And I'll tell you that in a second. But first, I'm going to share my screen once again. And let's now go into the Torah studies text. So take a look. Did, the, uh, did it have a hexer of some sort? It didn't need a hexer. It was, well, it was supervised. It was under divine supervision. Okay, let's do this. Let's do, oops, let's do text number one. Okay, text number one, Dr. Max, if you don't mind reading this, please. And they measured the mana with an omer, and whoever gathered much did not have more, and whoever gathered little did not have less. So everyone went out to collect their mana every day in the morning. They got their mana when they measured it, when they weighed it, when they got home. They had exactly an omer, and exactly an omer of... Uh, of mana. So here's where the calculations come in. This, I'm hoping you guys appreciate this because I think it's amazing. Um, how much, how much uh, is an omer? I'm glad you asked. An o huh? A log. A, well, okay. An omer, according to the calculations that I have seen, it is 
a little more than one and a half kilos. Okay. Now you're going to ask, well, what's one and a half kilos in like the weight that we know that is about three and a half pounds. So then that's, so I discovered that. So one and a half kilos is classic. I converted to pounds. 1.5 is 3.33, whatever pounds, but it's a little more than one and a half. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in right there at, at three and a half pounds. Then I Google today, how many pounds of food does a person eat in a day? And you know what I found on Google? Top result, between three and four pounds. What? You can't make this up. I hope, are you guys with me on this? I feel like I'm the only one excited, which is fine. I don't mind being the only one excited. That's cool. No, I'm excited. That, well, you're my mother. Of course you're excited. That doesn't count. I'm kidding. Of course it counts. Back, back, to, the, uh, back to the story. So look, be, the, mana, the, the mana they collected per person per day was about three and a half pounds of food. How much does a person eat a day? Between three and four pounds of food. Mind blown. It's like, it's like God knew what he was doing. It's almost like God knew exactly what he was doing. All right, back to the story. So they collected mana, even if they collected more, even if they thought they were collecting more, they ended up with, with, uh, with an omer exactly, which is that three and a half pounds. Um, even if they, just ask one little tiny question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for uh, what happened when there were old people and when there were um, children who, after they nursed and they got older, but they weren't able to be bermits. I mean, you know, in between ages. That's a good. That's a good question. I am not sure. I am not sure. Um, you know, would a baby need that much? No, I'm assuming this would be for a baby, a little older than the baby. I don't know. Fall on the table as crumbs, and the dog would get. There you go. Ah, there's always leftovers. Excellent. There's always leftovers. So, does the mana include their water? The mana did not. No, they had water separate from that. They had water separate from that. Yeah, that was water from the rock, from the well of Miriam, and that was that was that. All right. So back to our story. So no matter how much they gathered, and I'm assuming it's adults, kids, and and elderly. I'm not sure exactly. Um, maybe it's for everyone, as Steve said. That's a good question. But either way, what they collected, whether they thought they took a lot or they thought they only took a little, it always ended up as being an omer, which is kind of like a miracle, kind of like an interesting thing. Now, there's another feature here that I want to share with you. So let's jump back into the text and let's take a look-see at text 2a. Adina Malka, please read this one. Um, there you go. Right there. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Hold on. We can't hear you. And God said to Moses, Behold, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather a day's portion every day so that I can test them to see whether they will follow my teachings. So here we have, thank you, here we have a very interesting verse. God says to Moses that what's going to happen is the people should only gather the amount of food they need for that day on that day. So every morning... You get the food for the day, and that is a test so that I can test them. What's the test? I can test them. Oh, I'm still green here. All right, maybe that's fine. So I can test them to see whether they will follow my teachings. What do you think that means, that it's a test, whether they'll follow my teachings? What do you guys think that means? What kind of test is happening here? So he's telling them to get a day's worth, so... The tendency for some people might be, oh, well, what if something happens? What if I'm sick tomorrow morning and I can't go out and gather? Maybe I should gather a little extra 
And so I think it, part of it may be that he's seeing if we will follow those instructions of just getting enough for today and to trust him for tomorrow. Excellent. Excellent. So we see here two amazing things. Number one, no matter how much you took, you got the amount that you were allocated. And number two, you could only take for that day. The Torah continues to say, by the way, all this is in this week's Torah portion, which is why we're learning it about the mana. Um, I probably should have mentioned that before. All this is from this week's parasha, B'Shalach. But here's the thing. Um, there were those that felt exactly that. They felt like they, they're going to take a little leftovers so that they have a little extra so that they should have tomorrow. Or, and then they took a little extra, but it was only an omer, but then they try to save some for the next morning. They ate maybe less than three and a half pounds of food, and they figured, okay, well, um, we'll keep it for tomorrow. That way, we, at least we have something just in case, and it's spoiled and got rotten overnight, which means that they were not allowed to keep it overnight. So this is the test. The test is whether or not they will have faith that tomorrow, right, that tomorrow more food will come. That is a very big test of faith. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Who wants to go to sleep at night without knowing where the food tomorrow is coming from? I mean, I guess they knew where the food was coming from, but uh, it wasn't there yet. They had to wait for it. I mean, they had to believe and trust that it was going to come. That seems, like a, uh, that seems like a test of faith. In fact, that's exactly what Rashi says. Let's take a quick look. I'm going to share my screen once again. Let's take a quick look at it. To the the night of the Exodus, where we were supposed to eat everything and not leave anything uneaten. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that is true with the Passover lamb. They were supposed to eat it all that night, all that that evening, and not leave over anything this morning. Is it the same? Interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's the same. I mean, the end result is the same. In other words, they were not allowed to leave it over. I don't know if there's the same rationale behind it, but it's definitely an interesting parallel to consider. Adina Malka, if you don't mind reading, please. This is the second half of the text that you just read. Text 2B, Rashi. A day's portion every day. They will gather only what they need for today and not collect today to set aside for tomorrow so that I can test them to see whether they will follow my teaching. The commandments associated with the mana, i.e. not to leave any for the next day, and not to go out on Shabbos to gather money. So these were the two tests. And I mentioned the first, but here's the second. The first test is, will I trust that God will deliver tomorrow so that I don't feel the need to save for today to tomorrow? That's test one. Test two is about Shabbos, not going out on Shabbos, but relying on the food that was prepared Friday for Friday, Friday night, and Shabbos, which is what we still do till this day. All right, so... Here's the deal. What, what comes out, hopefully what crystallizes from all of the above teachings regarding the manna, is that this was a miracle food that descended from heaven, perfectly designed for what everyone needed every day. Um, no matter how much you try to game the system, you couldn't game the system. You got what you got. You got what was destined from on high for you to get. You couldn't outsmart the system. You couldn't... Um, one second, you couldn't, yeah, that you couldn't um, save over to the next day, you had to trust that God would provide. So herein already lies a few important messages. 
Okay, and these are messages that will recur throughout tonight's class. Message number one, you can think that you're going to get more than, 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 than you, you can think that you can game the system and get as much as you can. You can only get whatever you're allowed to get. You with me? You, you, you might think that you're going to go collect and grab and hustle and make and whatever it is and, and, and haul, you know, come out with a great haul of mana, H-A-U-L, ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. You'll get what you get. You're going to get what God has allocated. And number two, trust in Hashem, trust in God. You go to sleep at night, no food in the pantry, no food in the covers, no food in the fridge. Hey, no fridge even. You go to sleep at night with nothing and be able to sleep at night. That's the test. Can you sleep at night with that assurance, with that security that you know that God is going to provide the next day? Or are you going to be like up all night tossing and turning because how am I going to eat tomorrow if I don't have any food now? This is the test of the mana. This is the test. Will you recognize that God is in control? Number one. And number two, will you recognize that God is in control? It's the same message. Both are really revolve around the same thing. Take a look at text number three. Here are sages in the Medrash draw a modern day lesson from the mana food as we just described. Take a look. I think you're going to like this. Okay. Um, let's... Second here. Yaakov, please jump in to read text number three. A day's portion every day. He who created the day created sustenance for that day. Rabbi Elazar of Modi'in inferred from here, anyone who has sufficient food for the day and yet asks, what shall I eat tomorrow, lacks faith. I want to give you an interpretation here that I think you'll appreciate. This is you, meaning everyone will appreciate. Let's just break this down. Right? So the Torah says that God gave a day's portion every day. Every day they got for that day. Right? And, and there are sages say, what does it mean, dvar yom biyomo? A day's portion every day. The one who created the day, and it was God who created day itself, created the food for the day. Catch of the day. Listen, I, I, I know you just read this, Yaakov, but I want to read it again and, and add an, an idea here that I think is, uh, is powerful. So the rabbi says, Rabbi Lazar Modin says, anyone who has enough food for the day and asks, what, what about tomorrow? He's missing faith. Now, I want to point out this. The Medrash doesn't say that he doesn't have faith. Okay? It, the translation is a little bit misleading. The, translate, the, the meaning of this word, of this phrase, is not that he doesn't have faith, which is maybe what lacks in, uh, indicates, but he's missing a little bit of faith. In other words, he has faith, but he's a little bit deficient in the faith. Why? Let me break this down. This person believes, and yet he doesn't believe at the same time. So I want, to ask the, I want to ask it in the form of a question. What does he believe in? The person who has food for today and asks, what, what about tomorrow? So they have faith. This person has faith, but doesn't have faith. What faith do they have? That they got food today. Well, that they have. They don't need faith for that. Let's say they see that. They have it in front of them. But what faith do they have? It's a little bit of a twist. Huh? Based on what they, 
What, again, what faith do they have? What's the faith? The food will be provided tomorrow, but will it be sufficient? Okay, I have, I have a twist on it. You know what they have faith in? Huh? They, they believe in God, but they, they don't believe that God could actually do what he's... Let, let me give you a twist that I think everyone, that will resonate with everyone. This person believes and has faith that there will be a tomorrow. Uh, who said there's going to be a tomorrow? How do you know you're going to be here tomorrow? Are you with me on this? How do you and I know that we're going to be here tomorrow? Because you have faith in God. If you have faith in God that you're going to be here tomorrow, why don't you have faith in God that God will take care of you tomorrow? you with me on this? I'm giving you an interpretation. I think it's a deep and brilliant interpretation of this Medrash. The Medrash says, someone who has food for today, but wonders about tomorrow, what, what am I going to tomorrow, is mechuser amuna. doesn't mean he doesn't have faith. It means he's, he's lacking an element of faith because he already, he or she, already has faith in God about there being a tomorrow, but is wondering, in other words, it's almost like if we were to flip this around from God's perspective, God would interview this person and say, so wait a second, so you trust me and you expect that you'll be here tomorrow, right? Yeah. Do you know how much more difficult that is than making sure you have what to eat? It's like, if you trust me that you'll be here, like, don't you think I got this for the food part of it? Like, what, like seriously. Like, if, I, I, I hope, I, I don't need to elaborate on this. You got this? Yeah, it makes sense. Right. If you trust the Abishar, if you trust God Almighty, that you'll be here tomorrow, that the world will be here tomorrow, like big stuff, food you don't think you can take care of? I mean, seriously. God's got this. God got the big stuff. It's like the husband. It's like the guy who's meeting his friends, yeah, having a beer. He's telling them about his relationship with his wife. He says, you know, we, 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 like from the beginning, we divided responsibilities. I take care of all the big decisions. She takes care of the little decisions. So they said, what do you mean? He's like, look, I take care of like, you know, how to solve, you know, the world peace and the Middle East crisis and, you know, the Cold War. This is back in the day, Cold War. Like I, I deal with the big things. She deals with the small things like the family and the kids and the, you know, the, the finances, all the little things. Of course, that's a joke, right? But meanwhile, you're trusting Hashem for the big things. You don't think you can pull off the little things. I mean, come on, right? God's got this. So someone who says, what am I going to eat tomorrow, believes in God about a tomorrow, but is still questioning about uh, what they're going to eat. So the point is basically this. The lesson of the mana is, don't be that guy or girl. Or don't, don't be that person who says, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow is God will provide. Take it easy. If there's going to be a tomorrow, don't worry about it. God is going to have to, uh, not have to, God will definitely provide. So that is the meditation that arises from the mana. But all of this evokes a question which we can kind of circle back to the benching, to the grace after meals as I started today's class. And the question that, I want, that, I, that I'm leaning toward, which maybe I, I think I asked before, but maybe it's, it's crystallized now. The question is as follows. In the desert, this makes sense. It makes sense when you're eating mana that you need to have faith in God and trust in God and not leave over your food for the next day to full faith, 40 years. They had mana, 40 years of reliance, total reliance on Hashem. But here's my question. Nowadays, we don't live in the desert. We don't have mana from heaven. Why are we still saying Moses' lines? 
You with me on that? In other words, it's not only technicality, it's also a conceptual question. The, the, the total reliance on God makes sense when you're in a state of total reliance on God. Like in the desert, when they were eating the food from heaven, drinking the water from a rock, and uh, protected by clouds of glory, etc. But today, nowadays, in fact, it's not only now, 3,000 years ago, the moment they crossed the Jordan and entered the land of Israel, the manna stopped. The manna no longer descended. If you wanted to eat, you had to work for it. So now if you have to work, so then what's wrong with saving food for tomorrow? And we all do this, right? What's wrong with believing that it's my, my smarts and my strength and my hard work and my brilliance that has uh, acquired the blessings for myself? What is wrong with that? In other words, our sages say that the, me- the lesson we learn from the mana is that whoever questions what they're going to eat tomorrow is missing faith. One second. In the desert, that would, be just, that would be true. In the desert, total reliance on God, so no questions. But nowadays, we're not totally reliant on God. Nowadays, we're reliant on our effort. If that's the case, then we have to, we have to do the work and we have to believe in our efforts. So yes, God, but also us. Does that question make sense? Yes. In other words, it's, see, there seems to be an, an incongruency. Seems to be a little bit of a, of a discrepancy. Yeah, be- because look, if we don't prepare, the people in, in Ethiopia are going to, I mean, millions are going to starve. This is what's going on right now. Right. So what we have here is a bit of a discrepancy right. between the, the state of reality that existed in those 40 years in the desert and our state of reality, right? In back then, they were totally reliant, completely reliant on God. And there was no effort that they were putting in. And, you know, it was just descending from heaven. So, yeah, of course, if you question God, that would be a problem. If you thought that you're going to be smart and save food for tomorrow, you were the fool. But nowadays, it's not the same thing. So how do, the, how do our sages draw a parallel and say, well, whoever wonders about tomorrow is lacking faith? I mean... Uh, maybe not. Maybe we have to make the effort for tomorrow, number one. And number two, um, why are we using the same nusach, the same liturgy that Moses composed about God? I think Dina mentioned this before, that God is providing sustenance always, 24-7, etc. Why, why this, uh, this liturgy when, you know, it's different now. Today we, we are part of our, um, of our blessing. We put in the effort. So here's what I want to get to. The Rebbe asked these questions. Um, in a brilliant talk, and it's, of course, very special that we're exploring a talk of the Rebbe on the Torah, on the Chumash, um, on the Parsha, as today was, we're just finishing, concluding the 10th day of Shvat, which is the anniversary of the day that the Rebbe assumed the leadership of the Chabad Lubavitch movement. It's also the day that in, in 1951, and also in 1951, year prior, that his father-in-law, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, passed away. So, of course, a very special day to see the Torah through the lens of the Rebbe. So here's what the Rebbe says. And this is powerful. That when you and I post mana, there's two realities. The mana reality, mana world, and the post-mana world. In our post-mana world, where we have to work for a living and we have to hustle and put in the effort to earn the blessings, we have to be smart and careful, etc., in our post-mono world, what the Torah is actually telling us, what the benching, the grace after meals is telling us, is a massive paradigm shift. Buckle up. 
And the shift is, in short, that there is actually no difference between those two realities. There is actually no difference between the mana reality and our reality. The only difference is in our perception and in the fact that we make a vessel for the blessing, but the blessing remains the same. The blessing is God's. Let me break this down. That's the nakuda. That's the point. Let me now expand. That's the seed. That's the kernel of the insight. Let's plant it and let's let it grow. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. In, in our reality, in our life and times, yeah, we got to work to earn money, to buy the stuff that we need, etc. So we have to put in the effort. What is the, what is the nature of the effort that we put in? So it's explained in Torah, in Jewish thought, in Kabbalah, in Hasidic philosophy, in the Rebbe's teachings, that really there's two components. There's the blessing, that's the, the, the blessing of God, the divine blessing. And then there is the effort that you and I put in. And our effort doesn't create the blessing. All it does is create a space to contain the blessing. Which means that in the desert, God created the blessing and the container. Post-desert, post-mana, God creates the blessing, we create the container, but we're not creating the blessing we're only creating the container, which is why, and this is something that we know firsthand, when it comes to business, when it comes to any work, it doesn't matter what work we do. Sometimes we work hard and we succeed. Sometimes we work hard and we don't succeed. Sometimes we don't work at all and we succeed beyond our wildest, wildest measure. And the, the reason for this is simply because there's no parallel, there's no connection intrinsically between the effort that we put in and the blessing. The blessing is the blessing. Now, just to be clear here, if God has allocated us a big blessing, but we make a very small container, well, you can only catch what you got with the container that you have. Imagine you go to Vegas. I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying imagine. If you go to Vegas, right, and you're playing the slots. I was in Vegas for, where's Marnin? Is Marnin here? Marnin's son. Ariel got married in Vegas. He married a, a girl from Vegas. So I went, oh, hey, Marnie. So I went to, um, we went to the wedding. I remember landing in the Las Vegas airport for the first time, and I was shocked to see slot machines gambling in the air. Before you leave, you know, the, when you arrive at a gate, like in that area. Get to your suitcase, yeah. Before you get to the suitcase. There's already an opportunity to fund the, uh, the state, I mean, to, uh, to gamble. So, um, so, yeah, or fund the airport or, or whatever it is. You know, as kids, there were those, like, machines that you put the money in, you twisted it, and you got out, like, a little plastic container. That you opened it up, and inside was, I don't know, a bouncy ball, a little ring, a little sticker, a little tattoo, a little, uh, you know, water tattoo thing. Who knows? Sometimes they had gum. It was always an issue with the gum because it looked so good. But rarely did it have a hexer on those machines. Can you imagine those machines having a hexer, a little OU on it? Very rare that that would happen. So be that as it may, imagine you go to Vegas and you play the slots. Oh, and you hit it big. You get the triple seven, you get the jackpot, and it's, it's schissing out. It's pouring out money. The coins, the toe, whatever they give you, the chips, however it works. They're pouring out money. And all you have is uh, like a Chinese, uh, 
uh, uh, Chinese dinner, a little container, a little box thing. The money, the coins are going everywhere. You have a little container. So what's going to happen? You're gonna... you wear a fedora, Ari. I know. I was thinking about the kippah, but you've got to keep the head covered. But you're right. If you go with the fedora, the shrimo, right, even bigger, <coughs> you, have what to, you have what to collect. But the point is, if you only have a small container, you might not be able to capture everything. So you do need to have a nice, robust container. You've got to put in the work. You've got to you know, make up. Because assuming that God gives you a broad blessing, you've got to be able to catch it. But it's not you who's creating the blessing. This is the meditation. It's not, when I say you, I mean me. It's not any of us who's creating the blessing. It's the Abisher. Abisher means the one above. It's in Yiddish. It's, it's God Almighty who creates the blessing. Hashem creates the blessing. We are working on containers. There's light, there's vessel, right? There's influence, the, the power, the, the, the blessing, the shefa, the flow from above. And then there's the cup. Right? We have a cup. Fine. We, we create a container. But that's not, that's not the blessing. And we can't confuse the two. When we confuse the two, then it becomes problematic. Then we think we're in control. And then we think that we're in charge. And then we think that we're God. This is the Pharaoh mentality, as we've spoken about the last few weeks. This is Pharaoh saying, it's my Nile and I made myself. This is a self-made man, a self-made woman type of approach. Like, look what I did. Yes, not to take away anyone's thunder all the way. Yes, there, there is what we do. What we do is important. But it's only vis-a-vis -vis the vessel. It's not vis-a-vis -vis the blessing itself. Just to see this inside, let's do a few texts from the Rebbe. It's appropriate to learn, of course, the Rebbe's teachings on this day. So I'm going to fast forward to some texts over here. Take a look at text number four. Okay, here's what the Rebbe says. I'm going to read this. We know that the work we do for our livelihood is only preparatory work to create a vessel and a garment for God's blessing. Though we make the garment and vessel in a natural manner, we are not invested in the natural method. Look at this. You see what it says? Although we make a natural vessel, we're not invested in the natural method. We do it only because, in other words, we don't believe that our vessel is creating the blessing. That would be mistaken. We do it only because God desired and instructed that the promise and God your God will bless you should be filtered through all that you do. In other words, the only reason we do it is because God told us to do it. God says, go make the vessel. So we make the vessel. No questions asked. That's it. God says, create the container, create the bucket. We create the bucket. Not that we believe that our bucket creation is actually creating the blessing. That would be silly. We're creating a bucket. We're not creating the blessing. Because as we know, and I mentioned this before, but let me say it again to kind of come full circle in this idea. We know that many times we create buckets and there's no blessing. Many times we work very hard on a deal. We work very hard on, on, on a client and the whole deal falls through. And sometimes we don't work that hard at all. And the blessing does come through. So there's always a gap. I can't say always. Oftentimes, there's a gap between our effort and the outcome. And the message is powerful. That our effort is only our effort for the vessel. But the outcome is in God's hands. So if I were to say this in a bit of a, bit of a uh, tricky way, I would say, our job is the effort. But the outcome which is our income, is up to God. Yeah? The outcome is not us. And what is the outcome? Our income. 
The God's outcome, the outcome is our income, and that's not us. That is, that is Hashem's. Um, this idea is put beautifully in the teachings of the second Chabad Rebbe, known as the Mittler Rebbe. The Middle Rebbe, I mean, there were seven, but like Middle, because he was the second of, he was the second Alter Rebbe, then the Mittler Rebbe. So I guess when there were three, he was the middle, but at this point, the name has still stuck. Okay, take a look at the screen uh, that I am sharing with you. Here we go. He says like this. He was the beginning of the middle. Right. So he could become, yeah. yeah, that's his title. True, the first of the middle, right? So in general, the middle Rebbe says, there are two forms of blessings for success. One comes with great effort by engaging in a great deal of business. The other comes with little effort, yet with exceeding success and blessing. This is because the flow of sustenance arises from heaven in two forms. One is dressed in the guise of natural means. With this form of blessing, we can only succeed by investing heavily into our business. Otherwise, we will fail. The other form of blessing flows to earth directly from above, dressed only in nominal natural garments. We can therefore experience brilliant success with nominal effort. In other words, what we have here are two forms of blessing. Two forms of blessing, and, but both are really coming from Hashem. One blessing is obvious that it's coming from above, because we don't even, we don't even have to make a, a vessel for this one, because it's clearly from above. The other one, we have to make a vessel because it's, uh, it's, being, it's gonna be filtered a little bit more in our experience. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is that all the blessings, no matter what form they take, that's all the form that they assume, but all the blessings at their core are coming from Hashem. Take a look. Take a look. Okay, before we do the next text, I want to. I want to. So, so, so let's recap, and then and then we'll take take it one step further. So, to recap thus far, what we've learned is that just as it was in the times in the era of the manna, times of the desert, when the Jews were wandering for forty years and they received the blessing of the manna every single day, blessing from God, there was no doubt that this was divine. The same thing exists today. The only difference being that you and I can convince ourselves or believe mistakenly that we create our blessing. But be'emes, be'emet, in truth, the blessing is the same. The blessing is still God's. It's still manna from heaven. It's just that we're creating a vessel to contain the blessing. So it seems like it's different, but that's our perception, and that's our job of creating a, a vessel. But when we see the truth, we realize that it's really the same. So here's, here's how it works. When someone... You know, sometimes it's easier to see how the blessing is from God. And what I mean is sometimes there's no natural way for things to work unless God will make a miracle. Are you with me on this? Sometimes we know that God is going to be the one to take this because there's nothing that I can do anymore and it's got to be God. So at, th at, th at those points in time, we say, God, this is on you. It's those other areas in which we do feel like we can have some input that we can then be confused and believe that we are actually driving it. See, sometimes, I'm just gonna repeat what I just said, sometimes there's no way to even be mistaken and believe that we're driving it. But other times, most of the time, it's possible to have that mistake. Let me share with you the next text that expresses this. This is, again, from the Rebbe. Take a look, text number, what is this? Text number six. I'm sorry, this is the previous Rebbe, whose yard site, again, we're celebrating 
we're marking today. Complete trust in God occurs when we lack even a hint of possible natural salvation. That's when we have complete trust in God. When there's nothing that we can do anymore. When there are such hints, in other words, when there is the possibility that we can do something, we turn to them. We turn to the possibilities. As the saying goes, the drowning person, God forbid, grasps even at straws. When we have a straw, even a partial ray of natural salvation, we don't, typically, we don't place our entire trust in God. A ray of salvation represents hope. The word hope implies something tangible on which to pin our hope, such as a piece of straw in a vast ocean to which a drowning person clings. But true trust, not hope, but trust in God occurs when there isn't even a ray of hope, not even a straw to grasp. All we have is God. So the previous Rebbe makes a difference, the distinction between hope and trust. Hope is what we put in natural means. We say, well, I'm not me, but God forbid one who's drowning would say, oh, at least there's straw. I can, and you tell them, well, one second, you're putting your, your hope in straw. That's not going to keep you afloat in the ocean. Well, it's something. As long as there's something, we can, we can, attribute, <coughs> we can attribute to that something. But when there's nothing left, when there's nothing left, then when there's no, no other hope left, <coughs> then we can really trust in God. So what we have here is a profound um, illustration of what it means to trust in God. It means that nothing else is going to help. This is only God. God has got this. And this is really the way we're meant to live 24-7. That's what the Mana teaches us, that this is completely God's. Anything that I do is not that I hope in myself or that I hope that this is going to work. I don't believe that this is going to make it happen. I believe that this is what God told me to do so that he can facilitate his blessing. There's a difference. There's a difference in me believing that when I go to work, I'm earning money as opposed to I'm going to work as God said, go to work so that I can give you the money. There's a difference. And it's the latter that is the articulation of faith that the mana teaches us this, to this day. The mana reminds us. The mana guided us. The mana instructed us. The mana showed us that the blessing comes solely from God. In those times, they did less effort. They just collected it. In our times, we do more effort. But it's the same thing. It's the same blessing. It's from the same source. This is why. One more text. One more text. Let's do this inside to kind of round things out. Okay, take a look at text number seven. Here we have how the Rebbe kind of comes full circle with this. All right, take a look. Text seven. God's purpose in providing manna, bread from heaven, was to develop in the Jew a complete trust in God, to know that all our bread and all our needs come only from God. Our effort and work are not responsible for our success. Yes, they are the vessel, but they're not responsible. They don't, they're not the source of the success. And that is the powerful message of the manna. Which is why, coming full circle back to how we started today's class, this is why in the blessing after a meal, the Birkat HaMazon, that we recite every single time we eat bread, <coughs> every single time we eat bread, we recite the blessing after a meal. And the first paragraph, composed by Moses, the first paragraph articulates our faith and our trust. 
and our gratitude <coughs> that God has got this, that God has given us the blessing. So even though we went to work and got the money, and even though we bought the food, we, we showed up at the store and bought the food, <coughs> or we Instacarted it, it doesn't make a difference. Because we know and we believe and we trust that it's God Almighty who is creating the blessing. And all we're doing is creating the bucket or the basket. Per God's wishes, this too is, divine, is the divine will that we should create the container to hold it. So do we need to go to work? Yes. Do we need to work hard? Do we need to work sufficiently for the blessing? Yes. But it's not because that makes the blessing. It's because God, who's behind the blessing entirely, said, this is what I want you to do. The Torah sums this up. And God, your God will bless you in all that you do. So where's the blessing? The blessing is, where does the blessing originate from? God. But where does it manifest in what we do? So there's got to be the action, but most importantly is there has to be the blessing. This reminds us of the importance of not taking our eye off of what is primary. It's, it reminds us about the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing and never switching our priorities. So, I think I told the story a few weeks ago with Velvo Green and Rabbi Feller from Minnesota. I think I told the story. He finally got a meeting with this big professor and it was late in the afternoon and he interrupts the meeting to Davin Mincha to pray the afternoon prayer. And the professor says, you got a few minutes with me and you're going to pray? And the rabbi, Rabbi Feller, says, yes. Because this is, you know, I've got to pray to God. This is the time I've got to do it. And that impressed the professor so much that he ultimately, as part of his journey, his spiritual return to, um, to re-embrace Judaism, etc., and it was very much behind his spiritual, uh, spiritual growth and spiritual journey. The idea that we answer to a higher authority to kind of quote, if we're talking about food, to quote Hebrew National, right? We answer to a higher authority. It's not about us and what we're creating. It's about what God is creating. It's about what God puts in front of us. So if we have that mindset, then we're never going to prioritize the work over what God wants which means that we're not going to work to the point that we get distracted. We're not going to work to the point distracted about values. We're not going to work to the point that it takes away from Torah study and prayer and tzedakah. We're going to work in a way that feeds into the spiritual pieces because that is what truly generates the blessing. It's the spiritual connection that is at the source of the blessing. So in summation, today we looked at food. Two models of food, the heavenly food and the earthly food, the food that God makes and the food that we make. What we discovered is that even the dough that we make is still being made by God. It's just that there's a little bit more input that we have that we feel, therefore, is attributed to us. But in reality, it's the same blessing, which is why the grace after meals is the same liturgy as Moses, which is why our sages tell us that if we're wondering about tomorrow, it means we're not trusting God. Yes, we'll have to work. Yes, we need to put in the effort. 
But the same God who's making tomorrow will make the food for tomorrow. We have nothing to worry about because the blessing is God's. So what's the moral of the story? Trust and God will deliver. Trust and God will provide. We have to do our effort. We've got to do our work. But the blessing comes from Hashem. And with this mindset, like Rabbi Wolf said last night, for those of you that were with us, with this mindset, we can be a little less anxious, a little less tzutresult, as they say in Yiddish, a little bit less uh, agitated, recognizing that God is in control. And if God's in control, everything's going to be good. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. Let's open up the floor for questions and comments. Dina, jump in. You know, in um, sports games, the winning team often thanks God, right? Yes. But we never hear in a loss anybody blame God. So my this question is, is, yeah, so the two things, the two cases that you, you know, were put forth, a lot of effort and success, little effort and success. There seems to be a third case, a lot of effort and not success. Right. Right, and that could mean that for whatever reason, the blessing is only meant to be a little bit narrow. And therefore, all of the extra work that we're putting in is not really going to help. Now, it doesn't, since we don't know what's at the source, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't put in the effort. That's the catch. We don't really know. We don't have that x-ray vision to see on the other side. But we also know that if we're working to our spiritual detriment, it's not good. In other words, if we're working so much that we don't have time for the spiritual things, Nishkain Seder, that's not, that's not the way to go. That's not the way to go. Do we understand God's ways? Are we guaranteed you know, that the blessing is always going to be as broad as we'd like? No guarantees in life. Still coming from God means we have to focus more on the spiritual part and, and pray more and then keep the vessels open. Um, ultimately, that's not what we're in control of. And you're right. There is that third, there is that third possibility. We don't, we don't control the flow above. It's like, I've given this example before, it's like imagine somebody's wiring in money into a bank account. Now you show up, you can show up to the ATM every morning and withdraw it, okay? But you can't see what's in there. You have to like kind of just, you know, put your best uh, guess out there. It feels like the price is right now. But like, you know, just try to, you know, get, get what, you, you know, create a vessel and, 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 and collect. We don't, you know, you and I, we don't control what gets wired into the account. We work on, on the withdrawal, but that's, that's, that's our effort. It's not even withdrawal. It's more of like, it's not a perfect analogy. Anyway, a point, point well taken. What you're, saying is, what you're saying is accurate. But if we want to augment the blessing, I would say especially in that case, when we see that we're making the vessel and it's still not working, I think the message there would be, keep your vessel open. But now let's focus on the source. Now let's connect to the source and try to see what we can, you know, what we can rattle over there. Questions, comments? Yeah, sorry. It seems like what Hashem is trying to teach us is that if you become consumed by your work, by the natural right. means, like you get up at six in the morning, but instead of dominating, you're already thinking about the deal, and then right. you're working until 9 o'clock at night, and you're not spending time with your family. So, so if, you, if it becomes the root, that you're not in charge of it anymore, if it's in charge of you, right. that's when um, 
you know you've uh, gone down a slippery slope. Right, that is one indication. And in fact, it's interesting because in our Sunday morning um, mimer, the discourse that we study Sunday at Kabbalah and Coffee called the Kuntra Samayan, we're not up there yet, we're not up to there yet, but in the, coming up soon in our Sunday class, we're going to be talking about this folly, the folly of working so much to the point that we lose a sense of priority. Um, and it's, it's important to have that, to have what you're saying, to have that balance. It doesn't mean that we, that there's never a context to wake up early and go to work. Of course there is. But the question is not, it's not even, it's not a quantity as much as it is a quality, right? What's the most important? Have I, have, do I still have my perspective on why I'm doing this in the first place? Or have I completely you know, lost focus, and now it's all about the work, and it's all about my efforts, and it's all about, you know, me believing that I'm in control to, to, to generate this wealth or whatever it is. That's when it kind of skews into, you know, maybe a little bit uh, uh, into a territory that may need to be corrected. So the healthier approach, according to Kabbalah, Chassidus, Judaism, the healthier approach is to recognize that this is God's blessing. And so first and foremost, I got to make sure that my connection with the source is robust. I should never let the, the, the vessel compromise the flow. That makes no sense, right? Would I, put a, would I put a barrier in front of the flow just because I'm trying to augment the blessing? The, the, the example that's used in Kabbalah for this is a garment, because that was a, a word that you, you may have seen that word before, vessel and garment. When we work, it's the vessel and the garment. But think about a garment. Garments help. Clothing is, is, is beneficial for a person. It protects against things and you know, beautifies. But what happens if you have too many garments? Right? So garments are good. But what happens if you put on you know, three shirts and four coats and five scarves and 12 hats? Yeah, you're going to end up falling and tripping. That's what he says. Right, it says this in the source. When you put on too many garments, it actually could harm the person. So garments are good but in moderation. So a vessel is good in moderation. When we go overboard, when we, it can hinder the flow as opposed to augmenting and enhancing, can actually hinder the flow and that's certainly not what we want to do. So Sarah, to your point, that's exactly what we're saying. I mean, your point is, is, is well taken and that is that, um, you know, when we're, when we're veering into territory of like, you know, losing focus of what's really important, then that's, that's a sign to recalibrate a little bit. Um, good. Hold on one second. Karen, I saw you had a question before, a comment before. No? Yeah, no, I, I, I do. So this all makes sense. And, you know, this balance between what we can control and what we have to surrender to and, and surrendering to God and knowing that, that ultimately everything's in God's hands is, um, it, it, it is beautiful and is, you know, uplifting. Um, but then what about starving children? You know, I mean, because I feel like for children, the veil is much thinner. I feel like right. they have a, uh, just a, a, an inherent connection to God. Um, and they can see things we don't see. And yet they're children that, you know, don't get an honest meal. Right. Um, 
It's a good question. Your question is now about human suffering. King Solomon, or was it King David, who asked this question to God, a similar question. And God's response was, that's why I created you. I created you to take care of the child who doesn't have food. In other words, it's easy to blame God. Not blame. I'm not saying you're blaming. I'm saying it's easy to point to God and say, God, why aren't you, if you're the source of the blessing, so take care of everybody. God could, but then we wouldn't have a social role. This is, a, this is not tonight's class directly, but I'm glad this came up because this is a really important point. That the same God was behind the blessing is also behind the withholding of the blessing. And some, sometimes, and sometimes the, mes- and the message then is that the one who has the blessing has been given a little extra to share with the one who doesn't have the blessing. And in this way, we become co-creators with God. Just like God gives blessing, God gives us extra blessing to allocate. There is, um, who remembers Aaron Feuerstein? The Mensch at Malden Mills, remember this guy? In Boston, there was a, a, a mill, a manufacturing mill, and, a, and it... Um, He's the guy that basically, uh, the, the, the fire burned down his plant, right? And then he ended up still paying everyone's... He uh, kept plant. everybody and he paid them, and eventually it actually, the end of the story, they did a 60 Minutes episode, and he was like, he was a hero, and eventually he lost all his money. Like, that, that's the end of the story, is that it, he... So, I mean, the ending is a little bit complicated. Um, I actually just heard his granddaughter on a podcast share the story of the family, like in the postscript. An incredible story, incredible uh, woman. She's an incredible speaker. I actually reached out to her to do an event for us. So you're hearing it first. I reached out to her last night, and I heard her back from her. It looks like we got something brewing with this. The granddaughter of Aaron Feuerstein, the mensch at Malden Mills. Um, Please God soon, coming soon to Zoom near you. Um, but I digress. The point is that he, she said his values about her grandfather, that his values were always that if you have something, that you are entrusted by God to give that to someone else who doesn't have. It's not yours. It's not like I'm giving, I'm giving mine away. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's still God's. You see, that's the other outcome of today's lesson is that the blessing always remains God. It's always God's, which means that when I give tzedakah, and I'm not trying to take away from, from the challenge because it is a profound challenge, but what I'm saying is here's a meditation perhaps to, to, to share a bit of a different perspective. And the meditation is this is still God's blessing. And God has entrusted me as a, um, as a trustee to disperse and to give it where it needs to go. So yes, yeah, some of it, of course, I need for myself. But some of it, I will give to the other. This doesn't answer the question, why do some people suffer? When I say some, I don't mean to minimize it. I'm saying, why does this person not have and that person have? That is way beyond my ability to I don't think anyone knows that answer. Why, you know, Shmerel has and Beryl doesn't have? I, I don't know. But... But here's what we do know, is that if Shmerel has and Beryl doesn't have, then Shmerel is being given an opportunity to share God's blessing, it's still God's blessing, with, with Beryl. If God gave everyone, 
If God gave everyone full measure, right, it would be great. But then we would have less of a role. Which means not to make us feel guilty about having, please God, we have, right? Not to make us feel guilty that what we have is at the expense of someone else or that someone doesn't have so that we can, I mean, because it's, it's putting a little, I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's putting a little bit of, uh, of weight and it's almost like that person doesn't have because I have, I I mean, I'd rather Hashem just give it to them and not, not wait for me. But at the end of the day, this is what Hashem tells. It's either King David or King Solomon brought in the measures of the Talmud. The question was asked, why, God, why do you allow this to happen? You know, speaking of this theme, which is, I'm glad you asked the question because it wasn't in the class, it wasn't in this direct talk of the Rebbe, but it's, it's connected. The end of the benching, the end of the, the grace after meals, there's a line that's recited, a line from... King David from Psalms. Chabad doesn't recite this, this line for whatever reason, but most, most liturgies have it. It's Nar Hayisi, Gamzakanti, Veloiraisi, Tzadak Nezav. So, what does that mean? What does that mean? Nar Hayisi, King David's writing about it. I was young, Vagamzakanti, I was young and I was also old. In other words, I've lived, I've lived a few years. The lawyer is saying, I've never seen Tzadik Nezav. I've never seen a righteous person be forsaken. The Zaro, I've never seen a child. Mevakesh Lachem. What does that mean, Mevakesh Lachem? Asking for, Ask, for, for something. Asking, asking for food. Asking for Lachem, for food, for bread. Yeah. So King David says, I've, I was young, I'm old, and I've lived a long time. I've never seen, never seen a Tzadik, a righteous person forsaken. And a child asking for bread. The question is that the obvious question is, King David, get out a little. You have to talk about a sheltered guy. That's not what it means. That's not, listen to this. Listen to the interpretation. King David is saying, I was young and I was old. I never stood by and passively observed, passively observed as a righteous person was forsaken and a child was lacking bread. Not that I never saw. And not that I never saw need, but I never stood by and watched without stepping up and doing something about it. I never stood by and passively said, oh man, that's a bummer. You know, look at all that suffering in the world. What's going to be? He never did that. What did he do instead? He did something about it. This is the call to action. As we end the benching, as we end the, the grace after meals, it's a commitment. If we just ate and we're satisfied, how do we round it out? What's the next thing after thanking God for our food? What's the next thing that we say? We talk about our responsibility to make sure that we never see anyone suffering. And how do we make sure we never see it? There's two ways. Either hide or give. Those are the two options. And what's the answer? Give. Don't hide. So your question is a call to action. We could put it on God. Where's God? But like the Rebbe said about the Holocaust, where's God? Where was man? Where was humankind? You can blame God from today to tomorrow, but where were human beings when six million were slaughtered? Where are human beings when millions are going hungry? Where are we? This is not a question 70 years ago. This is not a question 3,000 years ago. This is not a question to anyone else. The question is for you and I. What are we doing today? And I'm not, I'm not, it's not, it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not, a, um, a, not a negative question. It's a positive question. It's a call to action. It's what are we doing today? 
to take care of, 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 of a need that exists, whatever that need is. What are we doing to step up? Why God doesn't step up to everyone all the time is to create that space of need. Why God chose one person to be in that state of need, which is not a good place to be, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how that's chosen. But what do we do about it? We have, we have the Jewish answer to that. So um, as we realize that it's, and I think, again, the class feeds into this, to this perspective. The more we recognize that it's not us, the blessing is not ours, the blessing is God's, it makes it a little bit easier to, to, out, to reallocate. Because we realize that it's, if it's mine, so then, you know, who says I want to let go? But if it's, if it's, Hashem, if it's the Abishers, it's God's. So then, what am I doing anyway? This is the meditation that the Talmud gives for tzedakah, in general. Right? It's God's money, and we're just completing the circle. God, imagine somebody gives you, imagine somebody walks over to you one day. Somebody you know, says, hey, here's $100. Um, I need to give this to another person, a mutual friend. But I'm, I'm going out of town, and I can't, you know, I, I, I just can't get it to them. Can you take this and just give it to them? And you say, sure. I'm going to see them later today. Yeah, you take the money. And then you pocket it. Can you imagine? What would that be called? Imagine somebody gives you money to give someone else. Theft, right? That's, the, that's, not, that's not called keeping money. That's called theft. That's, so again, I don't, I don't want to be, in, in, I don't want to like do a negative angle on this, but the way our sages describe it, the way, it's not our sages, the way Judaism understands the blessings that we have is that God gives us, please God, for ourselves and some extra for Beryl. I'm using Beryl as the name of the one who needs for Beryl and whoever, whatever, whoever Beryl is, it is. So our job is to give God says, here's $100 for barrel. If we keep it, that's not, that's not like extra profit for us. That's, uh, that's that T word, T-H-E-F-T. That's, uh, that's not just keeping a little extra. That's straight up pocketing what's not ours. That's a different, it's a bit of a different perspective. It all comes out of the same theme. It's God's blessing. I want to mention one other thing that's, that I meant to mention before. Even in the desert... Even with the mana, they had to make a vessel. They had to do some effort. They had to go outside and collect it. They had to grind it into flour and bake it or cook it. They had to prepare it. So even then they had to do something. But then what was most obvious was that it was God's. What was less obvious was that they had to do something about it. Whereas today, the percentages are reversed. What's most obvious is what we do. What's least obvious is what God does. But it's still the, in truth, it's the same. God is giving the blessing, and we're doing our part. That was true then. That is true now. It's just perception. The Rebbe wants to reorient our vision, put on different lenses to clarify what is ours, what is God's, the blessing is God's, the vessel is ours, the garment is ours, but it's really all about God. All right, final word, Yaakov, jump in, and then we're going to close it out. Nope. Three, two, one. Okay. All right, my friends. Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I just noticed when I have a, a whole slate, slate of clients lined up and I'm assuming, oh, tomorrow's going to be a really good day. Right. Um, everything falls apart. Right. But when I'm kind of uh, in doubt, when I remain in doubt, it's like, well, I hope that pans out. I hope these guys show up. I hope, I hope. 
then as soon as that confidence kicks in that, oh, I got this because they're coming in, they confirmed. I mean, people don't do what they say. They don't care anyway. But, you know, so you can't really, (laughs) can't depend on people. But when you stop depending on yourself even to depend on God, it seems like when the ego is gone, that's when the blessing is going to come. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's a perfect note to end on. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. I'm gonna, I know it's a little bit late. I'll let everybody go. Once again, thank you, Adina Malka, for sponsoring tonight's class in honor of Dr. Maxi's mom. Indeed, may the learning be for a blessing, and may we all be blessed um, in our lives. Thank you very much. Um, we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Laila Tov, everybody. Laila Tov. Bye. Good to see you. Good night.